0: Today is July the 13th, 2022. Welcome to the award-winning Personal Computer Show. I'm Hank Key and my colleague is Joe King. Do you know who has your personal data? Do you know how Facebook, Google, Amazon, and the other big tech companies are using your personal data? Our website is pcradioshow.org. We are heard each Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. On the Progressive Radio Network, that's prn.live, live streaming on the internet. Podcasts of the program is also available on prn.live on the internet. You can leave us a message with your question or comment at Hank at pcradioshow.org. The Federal Communications Commission orders carriers to stop delivering auto-warranty robocalls. The FCC last week said it has ordered major voice carriers to stop delivering robocalls seeking personal information from consumers by claiming their auto insurance or warranty has expired. The Federal Communications Commission announced it has told carriers to stop delivering auto-warranty robocalls citing it as a top complaint from consumers. The FCC said it has authorized all U.S.-based voice service providers to stop carrying traffic from Roy Cox Jr., Aaron Michael Jones, their Sumco Panama companies, and other international associates believed are behind the more than 8 billion robocalls generated since 2018. Billions of auto-warranty robocalls from a single calling campaign. Billions! FCC Chairwoman Jessica Rosenwarsel said in a statement Auto warranty scams are one of the top complaints we get from consumers, and it's time to hold those responsible for making these junk calls. The FCC's Enforcement Bureau also sent cease and desist letters to Callpipe, Fubo Telecom, Geist Telecom, Global Links. Mobile Telecom, South Dakota Telecom, SIP Connect, and Virtual Telecom to warn them to stop carrying the robocalls within 48 hours. The Enforcement Bureau will use all the tools at its disposal to protect consumers and U.S. telecommunications networks from the scourge of illegal robocalls, Acting FCC Enforcement Bureau Chief said. Recent trackbacks show that the Sumco Panama operation is still generating millions of calls on a daily basis. The agency noted that the calls usually claim that a consumer's auto insurance or warranty is about to expire and frequently use consumers' real information in order to appear legitimate. New European Union landmark law targets big tech over hate speech and disinformation. Under the Digital Services Act, companies will be required to strictly police their online platforms or risk multi-billion dollar fines. The European Union reached an agreement on landmark legislation forcing big tech firms such as Google and Facebook's parent company Meta As well as other Internet services to more aggressively combat hate speech and misinformation or risk multi billion dollar fines. Under the new Digital Services Act, companies will be required to strictly police their online platforms by setting up new policies and procedures to quickly remove flagged hate speech, terrorist propaganda, and any other content deemed illegal by countries within the European Union. The new law also bans ads targeted at minors from these companies' platforms, as well as ads based on users' gender, ethnicity, or sexual orientation. It will also get companies to disclose how their services spread or amplify divisive content. With today's agreement, we ensure that platforms are held accountable for the risk their services can pose to society and citizens. European Union Commission Vice President said in a statement, the time of big online platforms behaving like they are too big to care is coming to an end. European Union Internal Market Commissioner also added that the Digital Services Act, one half of an overhaul for the 27-nation blocks digital rulebook, is the European Union's third significant law targeting the tech industry, helping cement Europe's reputation as the global leader in efforts to rein in the power of social media companies and other digital platforms. While the new rules aim to make tech companies more accountable for content created by users and amplified by their platforms, algorithms, online platforms, and search engines with more than 45 million users in the European Union will face additional scrutiny, including fines of up to 6% of a company's annual global revenue and banning repeat offenders. A Google spokesperson told NBC News in a statement that while the company welcomes the European Union's efforts of making the internet even more safe, transparent, and accountable, they are looking forward to working with policymakers They get the remaining technical details right to ensure the laws works for everyone. Similarly, Twitter responded to the new regulations by saying the company looks forward to reviewing the regulations in detail. We support smart, forward-thinking regulation that balances the need to tackle online harm with protecting the open Internet, while also understanding that a one-size-fits-all approach fails to consider diversity of our online environment a Twitter spokesperson, told NBC News in a statement. Amazon did not comment on the new Digital Services Act specifically, but said the company welcomes all measures that benefits the single market, enhance trust in online services, and improve the experience of both customers and businesses in Europe. Though we await the full detail of the Digital Services Act, we support its aim to harmonize the approach to online content issues. A TikTok spokesperson told NBC News in a statement, adding the company welcomes the law's focus on transparency as a means to show accountability. Apple, Microsoft, and Meta did not immediately respond to requests for comment. The agreement reached on the landmark new law is now subject to formal approval by the European Council and the European Parliament. If approved, it could be enforced as early as 2024. In the United States, we have the First Amendment. The First Amendment to the United States Constitution prevents the government from making laws that regulate an establishment of religion, or that prohibit the free exercise of religion, or abridge the freedom of speech, the freedom of the press, the freedom of assembly, or the right to petition the government for redress of grievances. It was adopted on December the 15th, 1791. We will see how big tech companies handle the U.S. freedom of speech and the European Union's new Digital Services Act, new policies and procedure to quickly remove flagged hate speech, terrorist propaganda, and any other content deemed illegal by countries with the European Union. One size definitely does not fit all. Who decides what is hate speech? who decides what is disinformation meta dumps its crypto payments wallet novi n o v i 3 years after facebook announced its ill-fated push into cryptocurrency also known as the libra project the tech giant has signaled another scaling back of its activity announcing that novi the digital wallet payment pilot it launched last October will be ending on September the 1st. The tech giant that's now known as Meta suggested it has plans to repurpose the digital wallet technology, formerly known as Calibra, for future products, including those related to focus on metaverse development, although it's not clear exactly what Meta might have in mind for repurposing the Novi tech Senior Meta execs have talked up the Metaverse as a major opportunity for digital commerce, albeit they also caution over the lengthy timescale that will be required to develop the sort for market, suggesting it could take decades. In recent months, the company has also been testing support for digital collectibles, also known as NFTs. So Meta have its own digital wallet infrastructure could support a wider push into non-fungible token trading if it decides there's enough money to be made on that front. NFT trading volumes are steeply down versus last year. The Novi pilot, meanwhile, was a lot more basic. It enabled testers to make fee-free instant personal payments via the Novi app using a stablecoin as the transfer medium, with Meta's marketing claiming its tech made sending money as easy as sending a message. The pilot was limited to users in the United States and Guatemala. A limited integration with WhatsApps was also rolled out last December for a subset of U.S. users of the Facebook-owned messaging platform. However, the wallet project was generally hampered by Meta's crypto ambitions never having panned out as hope in the face of regulatory pushback and withering support. At launch, Novi was already scaled back versus the original ambition involving another stablecoin, USDP, rather than the coin associated with the Libra project itself, Diem. More recently, writing on the wall for the digital wallet included the departure of Meta's top crypt exec who had headed up Novi and who announced his departure in November. Then in January, the Libra Diem Association also known as a consortium, META, had originally set up to back and steer the crypto project, announced it was winding down, selling off the assets of the DM stablecoin. A note on Novi's website informing users of the looming end of the payment pilot offers no color or context on META's decision to pull the plug, with the tech giant merely writing the following, Novi will no longer be available for use after September 1, Before Novi goes away, we've made it easy for you to get your remaining balance and download your Novi information. There is, for example, no mention of the wider crypto market freefall that's led to dramatic sell-offs in recent months and ramped up scrutiny of stablecoins over concerns about stability, nor any reference to rising attention internationally on crypto regulation. But changing market conditions are surely Further cooling met his interest. TikTok is unacceptable security risk and should be removed from app stores. Brendan Carr, the commissioner of the FCC, called on the CEOs of Apple and Google to remove TikTok from their app stores. In a letter dated June the 24th, Carr told Tim Cook and Sundar Pichai that TikTok poses an unacceptable national security risk due to its extensive data harvesting being combined with Beijing's apparently unchecked access to that sensitive data. But it is also clear that TikTok's pattern of conduct and representations regarding the unfettered access that persons in Beijing have sensitive U.S. user data puts it out of compliance with the policies that both your companies require every app to adhere to as a condition of remaining available on your app stores. Therefore, I am requesting that you apply the plain text of your app store policies to TikTok and remove it from your app store for failure to abide by those terms. In the Twitter thread, Carr pointed out the national security risks TikTok poses. TikTok is said to collect everything from search and browsing histories, keystroke patterns, Biometric identifiers, including face prints, something that might be used in unrelated facial recognition technology, and voice prints. Location data, draft messages, metadata, and data stored on the clipboard, including text, images, and videos. Carr cited several incidents as evidence that TikTok has been dodgy about its data collection processes. ByteDance, a company based in Beijing, developed TikTok. In China, it's known as Duyan. Carr mentioned in his letter to Apple and Google that ByteDance is beholden to the Communist Party of China and required by Chinese law to comply with the PRC's surveillance demands. The Senate and House committee members, cybersecurity researchers, privacy and civil rights groups, have flagged this as a concern. In 2019, two senators labeled TikTok as a potential counterintelligence threat we cannot ignore. The American Civil Liberties Union, that's the ACLU, is also concerned about the social platforms' vague policies, especially in collecting and using biometric data. It's a non-issue for apps that are clear with about collecting data, but these must also say how they use the data they collect. TikTok, it appears, is not one of those apps that do not abide by this clause. Numerous provisions of the Apple App Store and Google Play Store policies are relevant to TikTok's surreptitious data practices, a pattern that runs contrary to its repeated representations. For instance, Section 5.1.2i of the Apple App Store Review Guidelines states that An app developer must provide access to information about how and where the data of an individual will be used, and data collected from the apps may only be shared with third parties to improve the app or serve advertising. Is TikTok a sophisticated surveillance tool? TikTok didn't sit on its hand when the news spread of the FCC calling for its removal from major app stores. Speaking with CNN's Reliable Resources, Michael Beckerman, Vice President, Head of Public Policy, Americas at TikTok, refuted a large chunk of the SEC's claims against a social media company. Predicated on the notion that Carr isn't an expert on such issues and that FCC doesn't have jurisdiction over national security. He's pointing out a number of areas are simply false, in terms of information that we're collecting. And we're happy to set the record straight, Beckerman said. When asked about the inaccuracies in Carr's claims, Beckerman responded. He's mentioning, we're collecting the browser history like we're tracking you across the internet. That's simply false. It is something that a number of social media apps do without checking a browser history across other apps. This is not what TikTok does. He's talking about face prints. That is not something we collect, he said, explaining that the technology in the app is not for identifying individuals for the purpose of filters such as knowing when the glasses on a hat, on a face, or head. Concerning keystroke patterns, Beckerman said it's not logging what you're typing. It's an anti-fraud measure that checks the rhythm of the way people are typing to ensure it's not a bot or some other malicious activity. When challenged if the CCP has seen any non-public user data, he said, we have never shared information with the Chinese government, nor would we. We have U.S.-based security teams that manage access, manage the app, and as actual national security agencies like the CIA during the Trump administration pointed out, the data that's available on TikTok because it's an entertainment app is not of a national security importance. Politicians and privacy advocates have criticized TikTok for potentially exposing U.S. user data to China for years. To allay fears, TikTok teamed up with Oracle and began routing data of its American users to U.S.-based servers. This, however, doesn't answer some question raised when BuzzFeed News broke the story about TikTok employees in China repeatedly accessing U.S. user data for at least several months. Such incidents reportedly occurred from September 2021 to January of this year, months before Oracle data rerouting. There is also an allegation that a member of TikTok's Trust and Safety Department said in a meeting that everything is seen in China. A director in another meeting allegedly claimed that a colleague in China is a master admin who has access to everything. We wanted to be trusted, Beckerman said during the CNN interview. There's obviously a lack of trust across the Internet right now, and for us, we're aiming for the highest, trying to be one of the most trusted apps, and we're answering questions and being as transparent as we can be. The United States is considering shipment ban of 14-nanometer chip-making tools to China. When the United States Department of Commerce restricted access of China's largest contract chipmaker, Semiconductor Manufacturing International Corp., with abbreviation also known as SMIC, to fab equipment used to make 10 nanometer class chips, it was considered a tough but not too severe move. Now the U.S. government is considering restricting China from producing larger chips using a 14 nanometer class fabrication process. The Beijing Factory of Semiconductor Manufacturing International Corporation is a partially state-owned publicly listed Chinese semiconductor foundry company and the largest of its kind in mainland China. To put all this in proper perspective, how large is the largest semiconductor plant in China compared to the rest of the world? Well, rank one as largest is Samsung with revenue of two hundred and eight point five billion dollars, followed by Intel, rank number two, with revenue of seventy one point nine billion dollars. Rank three is Hynix with revenue of thirty five point three billion dollars, and rank fourth is Taiwan Semiconductor with revenue of thirty five billion dollars. Rank fifth is. Micron technology with revenue of $30.9 billion. Unranked is SMIC or Semiconductor Manufacturing International Corp with a revenue of $4.88 billion. So the largest is really quite small. The U.S. Department of Commerce is examining the possibility of prohibiting the exportation of chip-making tools to companies in China that can make logic chips using... 14 nanometer class manufacturing nodes and thinner to stymie China's efforts at making more state of the art chips. In the meantime, the agency would allow those same tools to be sent to plants owned by the same firms but which make less advanced semiconductors to safeguard the supply of commodity chips as the world recovers from a chip shortage. A spokesperson for the Commerce Department did not comment directly on the idea, but said, with respect to semiconductor-related export license applications in particular, the Department of Commerce and the other reviewing agencies are considering a variety of factors in making licensing decisions, including the technology node for the proposed export. The agency also stressed that the administration regularly consult with allies and the industry about how best to tailor measures to deny China access to advanced technologies with both civilian and military uses. According to a Reuters report, the only company in China currently producing chips using its 14 nanometer fabrication process is SMIC, which has been doing so since late 2019. What is not completely clear from the report is whether the Department of Commerce wants to ban SMIC from getting tools used to make semiconductors on its 14-nanometer node and thinner, or if it wants to ban SMIC from getting any tools at all because it is capable of making chips using its 14-nanometer technology. Currently, American companies can sell equipment good enough to build 14-nanometer chips to SMIC without any export licenses. From the U.S. Department of Commerce, and other agencies. If the U.S. government decides to restrict SMIC's access to advanced chip-making tools, companies like Applied Materials and LAM Research will have to apply for an export license every time they deal with SMIC. However, the application will be reviewed with a presumption of denial. An official for the Department of Commerce did not confirm that they were discussing a 14 nanometer related export restriction for SMIC, but confirmed that it was continuously reviewing the ongoing situation. With respect to semiconductor-related export licenses applications in particular, the Department of Commerce and other reviewing agencies are considering a variety of factors in making licensing decisions, including the technology node for the proposed export. Because SMIC could not access extreme ultraviolet, that's EUV, lithography tools due to the Wassener arrangement, the firm began the development of its own 12 nanometer N plus 1 and N plus 2 process technologies that relied purely on deep ultraviolet lithography and were aimed primarily at inexpensive chips that did not require a high transistor density. Now both N-plus-1 and N-plus-2 nodes are considered sub-10-nanometer fabrication processes, so SMIC had to cancel their development. When SMIC was barred from manufacturing tools advanced enough to make chips using its 10-nanometer class and sub-10-nanometer class nodes in late 2020, the company said it would focus on developing advanced packaging technologies to make sophisticated multi-chiplet designs out of tiles produced on 14 nanometer and thicker nodes. That would enable Chinese chip designers to build sophisticated and capable processors with tens of billions of transistors even without using an advanced process technology. In addition, the company announced multi-billion dollar expansion plans that would triple the output of chips made on advanced nodes. To a large degree, advanced packaging technologies could be SMIC's way to work around the US export restrictions. As a result, China would gain access to advanced computing capabilities that could be used for military purposes. The US administration certainly understands SMIC's option and risks and that it brings to America and its allies, so it wants to further crack down. China's access to sophisticated chip-making tools. Presenting the IT Pro Series with Benjamin Rockwell. Work from home may be lesser of options.
1: This is Benjamin Rockwell, and now it's time to get down to business. This is where we talk about computers, technology, and the workplace, and how this all mixes in together. And I I wanted to spend just a little bit of time. We had some uh, a variety of different folks in the tech industry go through and do some pretty wild layoffs. Netflix and uh, Tesla laid off a, a number of people, and we're we're seeing this on a regular basis. But we're also seeing uh, a lot of different shuffling around, and uh, yeah, this is this is something that comes with kind of the financial territory of where our country is right now and where it may be going. Uh, but uh, I wanted to kind of address some of the different things. One of the one of the things that I want you to be prepared for and this is something that may still be an option for some people but may become less of an option. And that is work from home. It's shifting yes for a while a lot of companies were saying yeah we'll we'll do work from home forever and Apple Apple's one of them they backpedaled quite a lot Netflix well they um they've gone through and they have uh they've done a few different things yes yeah, so a layoff they've also said if you've got a problem working here there's plenty of other places to go why uh, they've also said hey if you uh, some of these companies i think netflix was one of them uh, has also said you know we we're going to encourage you to come back to work oh uh, wait no maybe netflix wasn't one it doesn't matter elon musk elon musk has definitely been on that you've got to come back to the office thing and he wants uh, this is kind of the scary one he wants all of the uh staff to be back in the office for at least 40 hours a week Wait, at least 40 hours a week. That means you want us to work 40 hours a week from the office and then another 20, 40 from home? Uh, you know, and that's that's something that, that Elon Musk is going to have to address that on another, on his own. But a lot of places are doing this. A lot of places are shifting around. And yet, we have realized that there are certain situations... For certain exceptional individuals, Elon Musk, I think, utilized something along that same term, exceptional individuals. Where my wife works, she is an exceptional individual. She was actually given a chance to work via remote. And that that was very exciting for us. Where I work. I, I have coordinated with my boss and I've said, Hey, I'll, I'll come in for emergency things. I'll come in once a week, uh, as well. And, uh, does that work for you? And he's, he was like, yeah, you're great. Your, your, your performance is great. You are, uh, you're coming up with great ideas. You're moving forward. And this is something that maybe uh, we all need to be, uh, aware of. I will tell you that there are certain people out there that will never, ever work from home because they're just not going to be capable of it. And that's not a nice way to say it, but it's not a bad way to say it. We all have our strengths and our weaknesses. And there are people out there that, yes, they do not have the ability to work from home, to work unsupervised. So, you know, that, that whole thing we used to put on our, our resume, I'm a self-starter. Well, okay, are you truly a self-starter? And a lot of people like to use that because it's not quantifiable. But if you can quantify it, maybe there's something there. There are still jobs, though. There are still plenty of jobs that are going to be work from home, especially if you're hired initially as work work from anywhere. There are different companies that are going to squelch that idea, that they're going to push against that. But who knows what the future may actually bring for you and your company and your job. So, if you have the opportunity to take a job and it's work via remote, great. If you don't, don't hold out for it this is something that maybe you can use that as a leverage point well okay i have to commute half an hour each way so i would you know i was really hoping for work from home but if you bump up the salary a little bit more maybe we can come to an agreement be careful they may they may not they may not like that But that's part of what we should always be doing. Whenever you're out there and they give you a job offer, you should be doing some level of bargaining to get a little bit more of what you deserve because of what you bring to the table. Of course, if you bring nothing to the table, that's another story. And that's kind of what the employer is going to be approaching it from. Remember, there's two sides to this. It's what can you? I mean, well, there's I, I can't remember the saying off the top of my head, but it's uh, along the lines of they pay you just enough to employ you, and you work just enough for them to continue to employ you. Uh, I, you know, and it, this is a balance that's always existed there. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about being flexible, and maybe. That work from the office job that you've got available to you and there's no work from home, maybe that's actually going to be the good thing for you. Who knows? The hybrid situation, yeah, that that may also exist for you as an option. And yes, be flexible, be adjustable. I, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I went in on a Tuesday instead of on a Wednesday when I usually go into the office. And that's just how the balance works out. You, you've got to find that balance. Coordinate with your boss. Talk to them. Communication. You know, I find communication is probably the best thing in any job. Of course, I'm one to talk. I'm I'm on the radio. Of course, I communicate a lot. As for now, this is Benjamin Rockwell. Back
0: to you, Hank. Thank you, Benjamin. Smartphones continue to hurt camera sales. The first model of Apple's iPhone was launched 15 years ago. Since then, many different smartphones have been introduced. The devices now influence our daily lives in many ways. One thing that has changed is that many people now use their phones to easily take pictures anywhere, anytime, without the need for a camera. Not surprisingly, this change has caused major business problems for camera manufacturers. Of course, the camera built into the first iPhone back in June 2007 did not include a high-quality camera able to compete with separate camera models. But over the years, smartphone makers have invested heavily in research and development to change that. Today, many smartphones have high-quality cameras designed to produce better pictures than the ones most people used in the past for personal photographs. And most phone devices today also offer powerful tools to improve the quality of the pictures we take. Japan's Camera and Imaging Products Association, that's a CIPA, is one of the main organizations that collects and reports on worldwide camera sales data. Its members include major manufacturers such as Canon, Nikon, Olympus, Fujifilm, and Sony. In a report issued in February of this year, the CIPA documented the continued drop in digital camera sales. In 2021, the total shipments of digital cameras fell 6%. The group said in a press release that this latest drop, however, came after years of decreasing sales. The CIPA said, The digital camera market continually expanded starting in 1999 when record-keeping efforts began. It experienced its first decrease in 2009, that's 10 years later, and continued to fall thereafter. The biggest change appeared from 2010 to 2020 when worldwide camera shipments fell about 93%. Although there was a small increase in 2017, Overall digital camera sales have decreased each year since 2018. The CIPA said the decreases were mainly caused by drops in shipments of digital cameras that have built-in lens. Camera makers have had more success selling digital cameras with interchangeable lens. This is because these cameras are generally targeted at professional photographers who demand higher quality. Such cameras can produce high image quality that distinguish them from smartphones. Business research company Research and Markets predicts worldwide sales are expected to keep dropping sharply. It noted in a report in February that the world market for digital cameras was estimated at 8.4 million devices in 2020. It says the market is expected to shrink to 1.2 million by 2026. The biggest drop is predicted for digital cameras with built-in lens. The continuing sales drops demonstrate the huge influence smartphones have had throughout the camera industry. But this does not mean that professional photographers never use smartphones to capture pictures. The convergence of videography and still photo photography. Photography has been the most standard way to capture events. With a smartphone, many are now recording traditional events in video. This form of event recording has been referred to as videography. Videography refers to the electronic capture of moving images on electronic media, such as digital cameras. As video equipment has merged with still photo cameras, videography has become an additional method of capture, but it is almost always an addition on top of still photo photography. Whether weddings, family gatherings, corporate events or anything in between, very rarely does videography actually replace still photo photography. If cell phone cameras will ultimately replace traditional cameras, they likely are not the biggest threat to the business of professional event photographers. No, videographers are. This is not because people would stop wanting still images for the events but because technology is on the cusp of making traditional photographs irrelevant for event work. Most event photographers use cameras that have a sensor capability between 20 megapixels and 36 megapixels. These cameras offer event photographers enough resolution to be able to crop or print, but not large enough to print large images without the resolution loss starting to be noticeable. 8K resolution event-capable cameras exist, but most event videographers don't yet use that high resolution for a variety of reasons. Overheating issues and extremely large file sizes have kept 8K from fully being embraced as the go-to resolution across the event industry so far, but that will likely change. 8K video resolution is equivalent to just over 33 megapixels which means an 8K frame is actually a higher resolution than most event photography cameras, and certainly more than typical client expectations. What will likely be coming in the next generation of cameras? At least 8K, probably as high as 60 frames per second, if not more, and some type of raw codec. It will need to have no overheating issues while also providing unlimited recording times And class-leading low-light performance. The technology already exists but in cameras that are not necessarily considered the go-to for the majority of event videographers. Even for the small percentage of those that do, many aren't comfortable using the 8K 60p mode for long events. The reality is that many event shooters don't trust the long-term record time due to overheating concerns at 8K 60p. In time, As the technology continues to evolve, photographers will feel the pressure of being replaced by their video-capturing counterparts. Some are using a video camera for their work and is extracting stills from the footage that is being used in newspapers while retaining the video footage. That's, well, that's two birds with one stone. So, it's not that it can't be done now. For the event photographers, the biggest competition is not from other photographers, but from videographers who would usually shoot besides them. Storage space will also continue to become less of an issue as time goes on. As technology progresses, storage sizes increase and becomes cheaper per gigabyte. While it's very expensive to shoot an entire wedding right now, it may be considerably less so in three or four years. Not only that, but many may find themselves more willing to pay for extra storage when they're also getting paid for more for pulling stills. Videographers will soon be able to offer their clients 33-megapixel RAW, edible still frames with incredible dynamic range and low-light performance equal to or better in quality than what is offered by their photographer counterparts. Not only that, but they'll have tens of thousands of frames to choose from, whereas their photographer counterparts may only have a few thousands. Not to mention, it's still video, which means one shooter can capture for two mediums. NASA unveiled first full-color James Webb images. The dawn of a new era in astronomy has begun as the world gets its first look at the full capability of NASA's James Webb Space Telescope, a partnership with the European Space Agency and the Canadian Space Agency. The telescope's first full-color images and spectroscopic data were released during a televised broadcast on Tuesday, July the 12th, from NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt, Maryland. The James Webb Space Telescope, the deepest view of the universe ever captured, it is the oldest documented light in the history of the universe from 13 billion years ago. It is the highest resolution images yet of the infrared universe. The unveiling of these images marks a historic moment for science and technology, for astronomy and space exploration. The image shows one little speck of the universe and includes galaxies shining around others whose light has been bent. We're getting our first glimpse. We're looking back more than 13 billion years ago. Light travels at 186,282 miles per second, and that light that you're seeing on one of those little specks has been traveling for over 13 billion years, which is almost the beginning of time, considering the universe is approximately 13. Point billion years old. The telescope is so precise that it can show whether planets are habitable. We are going to be able to answer questions that we don't even know what the questions are yet. This telescope allows us to look to the sky with new understanding. We have entered into a new phase of scientific discovery. Building on the legacy of Hubble, the James Webb Space Telescope allows us to see deeper into space than ever before and in stunning clarity. It will enhance what we know about the origins of our universe, our solar system, and possibly life itself. The James Webb Space Telescope was launched in December of last year the James Webb Advanced Technology has allowed us to see through time with infrared captures of exoplanet atmospheres, as well as to discover new stars and to explore faraway planets. Presenting Technology Chatter with Benjamin Rockwell and Marty Winston. Concerns about automation?
1: Marty Winston joins me now, and it's kind of funny because I, I'm I'm looking through. Uh, you've you've got automation anticipation as
2: with just, a question mark
1: with a question mark, <laughs> and you know I I you know I I I'm always leery even though I've got an automated house I've got all of the lights. No, most of the lights. I've got two bathrooms left to to light, and there's a, a couple of closets which have lights, but I don't have the automatic switches on them yet. But I'm getting there. But you know, I, I I've also experienced some uh, some disconcerting thoughts about like you know, one of the areas people want us to to automate. They want this this idea of smart guns. So oh you've my, got you yeah. so so you're gonna take like you're gonna take a firearm and you're gonna put a computer chip and a battery and all of that into it. And I'm going, I know how much trouble it is for me sometimes to turn on the light in the living room. Alexa, or, or, turn on the light.
2: Or, or, no, or, no. or to use to use Argot. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Wait, wait, what is your what are your observations on on any automation topic? Well, all right. I'll just name a few. Mm-hmm. Anybody out there, does anybody have a car with automatic windshield wipers that really work? Do they come on with the water Do they turn off when there is no water? Do they clear the windshield when there is some streaking that falls down after the rain? Do they really work? Why can't they? It, it should be the simplest thing ever, and nobody does it right.
1: Mine, is, mine are mostly good. They uh, they're about ninety five percent of the way there.
2: And well, I, I like that's that. that's so yeah. encouraging. Maybe yeah. by the time we're dead, they'll get it right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now cars have windshield washer fluid, right? And you can yeah. run it on your windows. But why doesn't anything ever clean those streaking wiper blades? <laughs> <laughs> Very true.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Okay. Now, got Sirius XM in the car. I mean, they all come with, it and they give you what ninety days free or whatever. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. It's there. I. You go on. What if the thing you want to hear isn't on when you're driving? Why can't they have a radio version of a DVR?
1: That you know that would be really good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. There, there have been countless times where I want to just back up twenty seconds. Did I hear that right? Did the host <laughs> yeah. of Computer Talk Radio really just say
2: what I think he said? Uh, probably not. He's <laughs> a little too sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right, go on. <laughs> uh, uh, furnace filters. If you let your furnace filter get clogged, that repair bill is somewhere between four and twelve thousand dollars. If you know, for example, the condenser blows up. Or, I'm going to be right listened? back. I'm going to go. Cl- I'm going to go change that filter. <laughs> what? I had well, no idea. Why, oh, okay. Why can't filters tell us they're
1: clogged? You know that's that's a very valid question. I had no idea, but you're right.
2: Uh, that's wow. Now, now, um, not for air. Let's go to water. How much of your life? Mm. And you're no spring chicken. <laughs> yeah. How much of your life do you spend waiting for? Water at the tap to be hot. Oh, way too much, way way too long. Yes, and and what do you do? You can insulate the pipes, and it's still going to wait. Yeah, you can put uh, a second water heater right there at the tap, and you're burning a lot of energy just to have that. Sure, or the uh, the recirculation pump. Yeah, I, I yeah <laughs> yeah Now, outdoors mm-hmm. shouldn't there be some way? For a big old tree in your yard to let you know that it's not as healthy as it used to be and it now wants to fall on your house.
1: You know, that would be that would be really good. I've got a friend who had that exact same thing happen. Not the tree notifying him, but the the tree (laughs) fell on his house. He missed uh, he missed getting crushed by uh, by a matter of about 15 seconds. And you know, one of my best friends, and uh, uh, so so actually, my my, my landscapist, uh, landscapist, yeah. yeah, he said, landscaper. yeah, that uh, yeah. landscaper, he said, yeah, that tree, see how big it is? The roots are supposed to be as big as the tree. I'm like, that tree is only like three feet from the house. Yeah, the roots are a lot. They're inside your bedroom.
2: <laughs> like, okay, let's but, get rid of it. Yeah, but but the the, the profession that. These guys don't make enough money. There aren't enough of them. Arborists are the people who know that by eyesight. Sure, yeah. The rest of us could use gizmos, you know. Hello, yeah, 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 yeah. And this is this is my favorite. You do a lot of home automation. How many apps?
1: Uh, Okay, so my home automation. When I went to do that for this house, I went with the idea of just. uh, I I wanted to do just one.
2: And were you successful? It's going to be two. (laughs) Not bad.
1: Which is, which is, but it it took a lot of intentionality, a lot of planning, a lot of going through and thinking it through just methodically. Just,
2: yeah. Well, how about an app? Mm, Yeah. To alert you to all the other home automation apps that are still on your phone to support gizmos that you don't have or you don't use.
1: I wish I could do that. <laughs> I wish I could have that because I know that um between my between my iPhone, my Android tablet, and my iPad alone without factoring in the other computers, I probably have I'm gonna say about twelve to fifteen apps. Wow. Yeah, well, right, I, look, I mean, when I when I went list. through the first time, I went through and I I, I did a lot yeah. of work with a lot of different apps.
2: I can see you with your so, yeah. digital scabbard just cutting them out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to suggest for all of your listeners, for all of your listeners, if anybody comes out, lets us know, sends an email, drops a phone call, leaves a message about something else in automation that we really ought to address.
0: I love it. This is Benjamin Rockwell. Thank you, Benjamin, and thank you, Marty. Public Service Announcements of Computer Club Meetings in the New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut Tri-State Region. Log on to the club website for more information on Remote Meeting ID. The New York Amateur Computer Club has a presentation, Push-Button Computing, Streamlining Workflows with a Stream Deck. Thursday, July 14th, meeting time, 7 p.m., online virtual meeting via Zoom, website is nyacc.org. The Brookdale Computer Users Group has a presentation, Microsoft Office 365 Cloud Beginner Tutorial. Thursday, July 28th, meeting time is 6.45 p.m., virtual meeting via Zoom, the website is bcug.com. The Westchester PC users group will have a presentation on cybersecurity. Thursday, August the 4th, meeting time is 7 p.m., online virtual meeting via Zoom, and their website is wpcug.org. The Amger Computer Group of New Jersey meets Friday, August the 5th, Meeting time is 8 p.m., online virtual meeting via Jitsi, that's J-I-T-S-I, and their website is acgnj.org. The Kingsbite Computer Club has a meeting Tuesday, August the 9th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. at the Park Plaza Restaurant, 220 Cadman Plaza West in Brooklyn. For more information, 347-278-7320. The Long Island Macintosh Users Group meets Friday, August the 12th. Meeting time is 7 p.m., online virtual meeting via Zoom, and their website is limac.org. Happy computing! Our website is pcradioshow.org. We are heard each Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, on PRN.Live, streaming on the Internet. Podcasts of the program is available on PRN.Live on the Internet. If you have any questions for us, just send us an email address to hank at pcradioshow.org. In the meantime, stay in touch and remember to do regular backups. I'm Hank Key, and on behalf of Joe King, Michael Horowitz, Benjamin Rockwell, and Marty Winston we thank you for listening. Stay safe and healthy until we meet again, same time, same station, next week.